Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy's Show and Tell. Show and Tell is the show where we like to bring on a cool guest to talk about something cool that they're working on. And today's cool guest is Hervasio Lembo, or better known as Lemmy in the English-speaking circles. And the cool thing we're going to be talking about is just everything that Hervasio is doing down in Uruguay and also the Broadcastle Actual Play Network. So, welcome. First of all, thank you for inviting me. I'm honored. I got to do a couple of interviews in the past, but always for uh, Spanish-speaking channels. This is the first time I do it in an English-speaking channel. Okay, and I like to speak English a lot, so thank well, you. Well, no, it's it's cool. I'm glad. Like I, we were kind of talking before, I just I'm really trying to talk to more Latin American folks. I, I just if you're listening to this right now, uh, hit me up. I just I'm trying to learn more about the games that are coming out of there, the different communities. I just think it's super cool what's going on down there. But uh, let me. So you kind of mentioned the whole like you've done only a couple, you know, English speaking tabletop interviews, but Broadcastle, you it's a Spanish speaking actual play network, right? Yes, yes, it is. Uh, despite we have had some collaborations with English speaking channels, where when we, I'm sorry, where we did uh, some English uh, shows, most of our stuff is in Spanish. So what's that? What's that like then? What's the? Do you have? a lot of listeners in Uruguay or, you know, other Latin American countries who are listening to your show? Or is it people in the U.S. or elsewhere who are listening to it? What's that like? Do you know? Yeah, we. I'm not the one who watches the metrics. I'm, that's not my jam. But we do have people in the channel that pay attention to that. And it's 50-50, you know. Uh, we have people from Argentina, Miami, and Spain who listen to our shows. But we also have a lot of people from Uruguay because uh, the, the RPG community is not too big here. And we do a lot of community building local um, work. So we have like a, a loyal fan base that not only in, um, comes to our shows on Twitch live or, or, or watches our videos on YouTube, but also comes to our events whenever we have some RPG tables on a convention or for instance, when we did our own convention, we knew it would be a success because, because of them. So oh. I would say 50, 50, 50 oh. locals and 50 abroad. We're going to talk about the convention later. I want to hear about this. Okay. So let's, before we get too deep into it. Uh, all right. So let's, uh, what I'd like to do is I like to get to know my guest. So take me all the way back. When did you, when did you first start playing RPGs? What were you playing? And then how did you get to Broadcastle? So just, you know, you can okay, talk I've for I've a long this time. I've a lot of times, okay. but never in English. Okay. So uh, it started when we got a hold of uh, a few Magic the Gathering decks. We started playing uh, at school in the lunch break. Uh, we ate as fast as we could so we could go crash the, the library where they had tables. Nobody went there to read, but we were there every day to play Magic. And one day, someone donated uh, an Advanced Dungeons & Dragons second edition starter box to the to the high school library. And as soon as we saw the dwarf and the elf and everything that was inside that box, we, we were 
wondered by it. We decided to to research a bit more. We got the the handbook and the Dungeons Master's Guide, and then we started to play every day, 30 minutes, but every day of the week. So it was like five and a half uh, hours every week. Okay. Which is was what most people that that get together weekly play, right? But for 30 minutes. What's yeah, that even like? How do you even minutes. do that? I can't even fathom like playing for 30 minutes. Because we just it's went... like, okay, you fell down the stairs and you met the two mummies that were uh, haunting this dungeon. Uh, prepare for combat. And obviously most combats never finish on the same day. Because you know how combats go in RPG, RPGs. Uh, some people may say advanced dungeons and dragons was easier and faster, but I don't know. We were kids. We were only like eleven years old. It was pretty much Stranger Things style, yeah. you know. When I saw that show, I was like, "That that's me. That's that's my childhood." So I gotta ask you then. So were these books then? Were they in were they in Spanish or were they in English? No, they were in English. But we were lucky to go to a bilingual school, so. Uh, we started learning English at a, at a very young age. Actually, we were preparing for, for an English exam when we found that box. So it helps you, right? Yeah, yeah, it was pretty handy. Everything you got uh, here was some photocopied uh, second-hand uh, manuals from elder players or that because uh, libraries didn't, didn't bring um, role-playing game manuals at least, at least until 2008. Five to t- 2010. So, no, okay, I'm going to sidetrack here for a second because they're really, you mentioned like libraries bringing in RPG stuff. Like, uh, I'm sorry, I, I meant uh, bookshops. Bookshops didn't, oh. or there weren't any comic books uh, stores. Uh, Montevideo is a very small city. It's only one, one million people and the whole country is only three million. So all we got was someone had gone to Buenos Aires and had brought this book and five different people were photocopying it from it and getting copies. Uh, piracy has was a very strong ally of, of uh, all the hobby style um, communities here, here in Latin America because uh, not only was it expensive for us bringing it from outside, but it was sometimes even difficult to find. Remember that in the beginning of the 2000s, Amazon and eBay were only starting to be a thing and no one had international uh, credit cards. Yeah. So yeah, it was, and we were kids. We didn't work, so we didn't have any money either. That bring, No, so that brings up a good, something else I wanted to talk about because I've heard some, I've heard other Latin American folks talk about this idea of like, Piracy was the only way that they were able to get books down yeah. there, printed copies, just because of that, whatever. There, there's just a disconnect. We kind of take that stuff for granted in the U.S. where I can literally just, I, I have a game store like a mile from my house and just go get whatever but, but I want. Not only ga- game uh, stores, you can buy role-playing game books and miniatures for war games and such in Target stores. And- this is this is totally true. Barnes are nobles and all that. So what's That's it? Unthinkable. So yeah, it was one of those things too. Uh, the big when the the like the uh, you know I, I have no problem using like the the sacred language and mentioning the trove. Are you familiar with that website? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. Um, that was some years later because yeah. internet was also kind of delayed in arriving here. So yeah, it was all secondhand. Photocopies. It was all secondhand, just photocopies. Yeah, 
that's just it's just that's it's just wild that just is how how different yeah. it is and most most of the people here don't speak english so uh, a lot of the photocopies were from from spanish um, magazines that compiled uh, different modules for example of or or rule sets and they they had this this um, i don't remember the name right now i think it was the dragon magazine or something like that yeah. and it was all from from spain you know so it was, got first translated to spanish and then we got the pirated and photocopied <laughs> so copy. what is it easier to what's it like now what's it like now to get well rpg stuff my generation we're all the part of the of the working population so we we can afford books and the online options also have made it uh, more accessible mm-hmm. i prefer the physical copies and i've spent a small fortune in in books especially the, the travel the, the shipping fees books are heavy you know uh, but yeah it's been it's it's been a, a total uh, transformation you know with the for example things like dnd and beyond i know people that play a lot of dnd uh, that are my age um, they now can afford that and it's uh, something that has uh, made accessibility to the hobby a lot better to yeah. be honest but also game stores started popping up as soon as being a, a nerd and a geek started becoming fashionable you know what yeah some, at some point between harry potter's movies and marvel movies like being a geek started being fashionable i don't know i i'm not a gatekeeper so i welcomed it and game stores starting like just like popping up and they started bringing books and selling them i now have it three blocks from me here a game store that sells all the basic D and warhammer and pathfinder books if i want to okay so then all right so so you're you're getting these photocopied or you're getting these these books uh at school uh where did it go from where did it go from there well uh from there we started like searching who else was playing these games my only contact was uh, my godfather's son was a bit older than, than me and gave me my the gave me his dungeon master's guide so I could photocopy it. And then we found uh it was some sort of clandestine club. Someone had, had rented a house downtown and opened it uh five days a week from 9 p.m. to 6 a.m. for long night sessions. So you would go there, you would uh, ask for drinks and they would lend you a table for you to play RPGs. A lot of manuals were at your disposal there, but it was all like, uh, you had to actually not say a password when you got there, but you knocked the door and a little door opened and they watched you and then they let you in. So this was like just somebody's, somebody's like house or side business? Yeah, it was a side business. That's so why, okay, so why the seek, why the secrecy then? Was it taxes? Like, what's the what's going on there? Well, uh, fifteen years later, I tried to open my own uh, legal uh, games bar, and oh. I realized now why he had to do it uh, so hush hush back then. Because yeah, it's it's really taxing. Uh, it's what probably oh, what, were they serving? Was serving booze or something? 
Yeah, they were. That's okay. that's also something else because we were 15 at the time and, and they didn't mind us ordering whiskey to the table <laughs> where we played Vampire the Masquerade, for example. That kind, I mean, that sounds pretty cool. So. Yeah, it was like an RPG speakeasy, but without the gangsters and okay. everyone was just like you. Only just a bunch older. of nerds hanging yeah. out. Okay. All right. So you're playing at the you're playing at the really sketchy RPG bar. All right. You're you're finding new people. How does this lead to how does this lead to wanting to do actual plays? Did you keep on playing all the way up to then? No, no. I connected with war games around 16, 17, and I didn't reconnect with RPGs until I started playing a play-by-post uh, RPG that I played for, for a long time while I was at the university. I had to move to a seaside village. I decided to study filmmaking, and the School of Fine Arts had this like experimental um, school by the beach, 100 kilometers east from the capital so it was really like going to a countryside town you know really small with only 10,000 people there and the only way that I kind of had to stay connected with with the hobby was by playing play by post internet started to get it uh, getting better back then and when I returned to Montevideo to the capital around the year 2015, 16, I started to get in touch again with the locals and I returned to role-playing games. But in the in the meantime, I mostly play war games and this play-by-post uh, game that was really interesting. They grabbed a computer game called Freelancer. It was a f- ship, um, space simulator from the year to, to 2003, I believe. And they made a whole community on a forum and you had your factions and your characters. It was really, really neat. We played that a lot of time. But no, mostly war games and Blood Bowl. Do you know Blood Bowl? I do know Blood Bowl. Okay, yeah. I was really big in the in the Blood Bowl scene here in Uruguay for some time. We, we organized a couple of uh, Latin American qualifiers for the World Cup even. Really? Yeah, yeah, it was really strange how Blood Bowl uh, kicked off here in Uruguay because it didn't relate to any of the other hobbies. No, Magic was big because it was mainstream. D&D stomped hard because being the mainstream RPG. But Blood Bowl is such a niche game. Even in big countries, only a few people play it. But we have a really really passionate football uh, culture. And I think it, yeah, we got it from there. Okay, so I, I'm obviously I know Blood Bowl is the sports version of Warhammer with yeah. orcs and whatnot. Like they got the there's obviously the famous like the, what people consider like the ugliest miniature ever, the orc cheerleader. Um, yeah. So I gotta. So is is Blood Bowl? Is it is it is it like soccer or like or like American, American football? Is American football? Yeah. So it's you American football. so like. But to me, when I think about like Latin America, I don't think of like Latin America. I, I don't think of like American football as being popular. No, not at all. So and how, how's that work then? Like, you, it's just you get, y'all like it or something? It's just sports, you know. Yeah. They, they didn't do a soccer version of uh, medieval fantasy races battling each yeah. other. And American football, I, I think, goes better with with the whole trope of yeah, players can be killed during the match. 
And so yeah, it just the, the the we became really competitive, you know. Yeah, it was we had some of the, for example, in the last World Cup for which we organized the qualifiers, uh, from sixty four players in the whole world, two of them were Uruguayan. Okay. And if you start to make the math according to the population, it's just madness. So, okay. So then, all right. So we're gonna talk about minis then all right since we're talking about blood bowl okay. i i was looking at your all's uh youtube channel you looks like i mean you all still are doing some warhammer stuff uh yes and so obviously you played warhammer blood bowl then you went back to rpgs but you never really lost sight of wargaming and what no not at all no, so, no, no actually we merged it because what we do with war with the uh, Warhammer Fantasy Battles, the, the fantasy miniature war game, is that the battles that we stream on our channel are happening in the, let's say, uh, Bellic theater of the RPGs campaigns that, that we are playing. Uh, okay. The players and the characters get involved with a whole dynamic of powers of the province and, and the, the reign, the empire they're in, and things that they do have consequences in these battles that take place in the surrounding areas and for which they later hear news of. Last one, I had plans for the characters to even participate, but they buggered off on a side quest and never cared. And instead of just saying, well, I'll I'll hold this battle for when their interest brings them here, I said, no, the battle happens, you know, and you weren't there and there were consequences. We like to to merge uh, several game systems into the uh, same narrative, okay. or at least we're experimenting with that. I mean, that's the fun part about games is trying different things. Like, yeah, of course. So that... even in miniature games, there's warband games that we're interested in experimenting with. Uh, it's, it's not only armies that that clash. Sometimes things are happening in the background that are not really something that you could do on an RPG session, and perhaps a skirmish game will will fix it. Uh, yeah, we, we want to try all of that. So when it comes to like war, because I've I, this year or twenty twenty two, I got really into painting. All right. Uh, so for you, do you like the actual? mechanical like playing the game or is like the or do you like the painting and the constructing part of that hobby i find modeling and uh, making like conversions of miniatures really interesting and I, i'm very passionate about it but when it comes to painting it's just like a job you know I cannot find any pleasure in it. I have some other bodies that are the other way around and they prefer painting than modeling. But what binds us together is our love for, for the game mechanics mostly. Okay, interesting. I yeah. just paint them because they really look better. It takes a lot of work though. Yeah, for me, it became more of like a relaxation thing. Like you get home from work, uh, you know, you've been looking at a computer screen all day and just being able to just like sit down and do something real like with your hands just felt really good. Well, yeah, for some people it's like that. Uh, to me, it makes me more nervous. I okay. want to smoke cigarettes when I'm painting okay, because that's... I get anxious. It's like one of, one of two. You either are like you or you are like me. Okay, interesting. Okay, so... 
let's talk then about the games you're playing right now. All right. Are you playing, especially, are you playing like Warhammer Fantasy? Is that like your game of choice? Yeah, that's that's my, my main drive. Not only in the channel, but uh, what I GM to particulars uh, for for a fee or with my friends. A Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, as soon as the fourth edition landed, I got a hold of the, of the core rulebook and then I couldn't stop buying every single supplement and addition that that they release it's just so awesome and i've never played the first or second or third edition i come as i said from from the war game and and Gladwell, and that's when i got in love with the lore but the role-playing game is really different it's not high fantasy you know sometimes you look at warhammer from the outside and say oh dragons and wizards and demons and demon gods but have you played Warhammer Fantasy? So I have, I had one of my best role-playing game experiences ever was making Warhammer Fantasy first edition characters. That's all we did was make the characters and we rolled for everything. And we had so much fun doing that because it was so weird and so random. Like I had to roll for bed rolls and I was like, what is this? And then we got to a part where, um, the we were had tried we had to we were rolling for our class and our race and this was back when games were like still super super racist and dwarves i guess couldn't read in the game so they were like they just couldn't read and so we rolled for our race and one of the players rolled a dwarf but then when they went to go roll for their class they rolled Yes, and so <laughs> so they couldn't do anything because you had to read and write, and the dwarf couldn't read or write, and we we were just it was just the funniest thing. We had, we just had fun making these characters, but that's my experience with Warhammer Fantasy. Yeah, it, it has all these tables that let you roll uh, your species. They call it species now, and uh, career and class randomly, and they even give you a bonus in the starting XP if you do so. Yeah. I think that's really really attractive for for players who come from other systems and that are not focused on that. But I also tell my players that my campaigns are long and it can be funny to roll a human rat catcher. Yeah, that's a classic. And it you will be fu- you will have fun with it uh whoever you are, but to stick with it for 50 or 60 or 80 sessions, that's not for for anyone or for just anyone. So I always tell them, if you want to do it random, think very well if, if this is a character you want to play for three or four years. Okay. Also, mortality rate is a lot higher in Warhammer, so sometimes you don't even care. Okay, so obviously it sounds like you you really got into Warhammer Fantasy though because you are super into the lore. Yeah, but first, but you know that there are novels. I've never read a single one of them. That's so, pretty weird. All the lore I get, I know, is from like the Warhammer Fantasy Battle Army books, in which you had the half of the book be just lore. So I learned about the different species and factions from there. Uh, 
and I only only got into the deep lore that's extracted from the novels. Once I started playing uh, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay about four years ago now, 2019 was okay. when I got my book. Yeah. So, so it's, it's, it's just funny. When you mentioned in the email that you played Warhammer and everything, so Warhammer is weird for me because I don't, I really, I only know very little about it. Obviously, I know there's 40K and there's fantasy, um, and it's one of those things where, like, I don't play the game, but I've always wanted to get into the lore just because it always just looks so cool. Just it just it just looks cool, but I don't ever know like how to even approach it. It just seems so unapproachable. Like, how do I even like? Where is page one of Warhammer Fantasy? Like, how do I even get into Warhammer Fantasy? In my humble opinion, you have to pick one faction and try to dive into that faction because when you do that, you'll also learn about the major events of the whole setting in the perspective of that faction in particular. Okay. For example, Skaven. At some point, there was uh, an explosion or, or some sort of experiment that went wrong in a human city, or I don't know, perhaps it was a piece of the moon that fell off. The moon is made of magical stone that's chaotic. Okay. <laughs> and a lot of humans in a single city in the lapse of 24 hours or tops a week became ratmen. And a whole species was born from like overnight, you know? And if you approach the Skaven lore from the lore of the other factions, it will be different. Dwarves, for example, You'll, you'll start reading that at some point in the mines, in the tunnels, ratmen started to pop, pop up and this went on for centuries and they became one of the arch enemies of the dwarven race. But if you go uh, to the lizard men who had their Aztec inspired temples in, in the Western continent and they have been battling ratmen, I don't know since when. It's, it's a... It's what I recommend when people ask the, the question that you asked. And if you like video games, the Total War series are not okay. a bad approach to lore. It will only skim over major events, but at least it has worked in my experience for friends of mine to ignite that thirst to know more about okay. the different factions. So what... All right, so here's... We're going way off with this. All right, so yeah. what is... All right, what is Age of Sigmar then? Is that fantasy? What is that? Uh, first of all, Age of Sigmar is a mistake. Okay, all right, all right, okay. Get, you have, I feel an opinion. You know how these days they are uh, talking a lot about how Hasbro and Wizards of the Coast see their their players as uh, obstacles? Oh, yeah, uh, I'm, well, money. I'm well aware. Okay, at some point, Warhammer fans didn't um, suffer all these whole Wizards and Hasbro debacle too much because we're used to it. Games Workshop has done this to us in the past. <laughs> and the birth of Age of Sigmar was one of those. They had a game where you could reuse the miniatures that you had bought on the previous editions. So it was getting dif more difficult and more difficult for them to sell new miniatures. So they decided to shut the setting off. And they, in a matter of less than two years, uh, 
made a lore dump that basically with novels and some special releases uh, that basically said that the the end was coming all the factions uh, were going to fight against each other and against chaos and at the end chaos won and the world exploded and everything was lost but some gods made it to another plane and age of Seymour was born it was oh. a whole like marketing ploy that ended one of the most rich uh, fantasy universes and one of the oldest if you count only the big ones uh, for for just money you know and some of us have been keeping it alive Luckily, Sega and Creative Assembly picked up the setting for their Total War series, and that, like, gave him gave it a much bigger audience that got people more interested in, in the setting. And Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, I believe, came uh, fourth edition came came out at the perfect time where that interesting start was started to to grow again. So let me ask you this then. Um... I'm blanking on the name. Is the is the Warhammer Fantasy role playing game? Is it still published today, or is it currently in a hiatus? No, it is. It is. The fourth edition started getting released by the end of 2018, and it's still releasing new material. I think we are one week away from the from the latest release. That will be Lustria, a source group that will cover all the continent that's the equivalent of South America because the Warhammer geography is very similar to the to the actual world, you know. Uh, it's Cubicle 7 which yeah. publishes it. And yeah, they have, they not only they have the the rights, but they're they're doing more stuff. Okay. Bi- so th- Bi-monthly, I would say. Yeah. So is that, so then talking then about the channel, is this, so do you all primarily then play Warhammer Fantasy, do you all play any other games on Broadcastle? Right now we're playing uh, Dungeons and Dragons, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. Uh, we play uh, a game that's inspired in Colombian soap operas that's called Pasión de Pasiones or Passion of the Passions. I am familiar with the game. Okay. Yeah. We play that every, um, how do you call it in English? Valentine's. Every... 14th of February. Okay. On St. Valentine's, we we play that game just for, for the lulls. We have a Star Wars campaign that's not as frequent as our fan, uh, medieval fantasy ones. And now we're like cooking what will be of, of this new year and what new content we can release. I've been wanting to, um, to put some warlock between my Warhammer I recently discovered this OSR that is um, Warhammer inspired, but you know what? Uh, how OSRs go? The, the the rules are lighter, and it's more narrative oriented. And I've been trying to to convince the others to to give it a try. And what was, but what's yeah, this, we started with Warhammer. What's to, this to answer your question? What's that? Oh, what's that OSR game called again that you mentioned? It's called it's called Warlock. Okay. And it's difficult to find by that name, so just search for the latest edition, which is called Warlock Traitors Edition. So you can find it in drive through. So who makes? Who, do you know who makes that game? 
I think it's called Fire Ruby Games. Okay. They make that that one and a sci-fi equivalent. Okay. So it's, I mean, so tell me about the channel then, because it sounds like y'all are doing a lot. And I will say this. So the videos I checked out, like you all have a really, you all have a pretty decent like video production quality on these. Yeah, we were lucky that, that um, among our group, there's a lot of us who studied filmmaking. So okay. we gathered some some semi-professional equipment and we try to get the most production value out of the little resources that we can gather. We have a budget of $25 monthly. And what you see, we, we make with that. Yeah. So who who what's your team like? Who's working with this on with you on this? Right now, there's twenty people, though we have uh, what we call the HQ, that are all the mostly the GMs of the different programs, the different shows that we have. And uh, we we have a very horizontal organization. We are a cooperative. More uh, big decisions are are taken in a. In a whole assembly of 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 all the all the people in the channel, but day to day decisions are taken by, by this HQ that I told you about. Uh, the people that like put more than five to ten hours to the channel every week are only six or seven. The rest just uh, help when they can or with what they can. For example, we have some graphic designers that will grind an entire month uh, putting out um, resources for the different shows and then we'll relax and just show up to play on the shows for the rest of the year. And that also is very valuable for us. We find we found that this uh, structure, this, this way of working uh, suits us. Okay. Perhaps if we go, wanted to grow a bit more, we would have to think of something else. But for now, it's let us uh, achieve goals that we never dreamed of when we when we started. To be honest, at the yeah. beginning there was two channels. Also, the, we had the Warhammer uh, show in Broadcastle, and then there were friends of us who had this D and D show called Pifia. And one day we got together and we saw, we said, well, "This is a." too small uh, audience here in Montevideo in Uruguay for us to be separated. Why don't we merge? And less than two years ago, we, we merged. And that's when the when the team grew and we started doing bigger stuff, such as our own convention. Yeah, I, I'm telling you, we're going to get to the convention because I want to talk about the convention. <laughs> um, so are your p- players then are... Is basic is everybody from Latin America? Then is that primarily where you all are based? Yeah, and right now uh, it's mm, the only foreigners foreigners that we have are uh, an Argentinian guy who's living here in Uruguay and a uh, Catalan, um, a Spanish guy who's also living here in Uruguay, because we try to f- um, make as many shows as we can in person rather than online over Discord or something like that. Yeah. Uh, um, well, yeah, you have to be around for that. The D&D show, though, is online and we have a Uruguayan living in Spain that that's also part of it. So what do you, okay, so what do you think, 
about so obviously you prefer to play in person like what's that to like why do you prefer person in person instead of online i mean not me in particular i really i i i I think it's the same for me but some of my players prefer to for it to be in person they say that there's a different feel about it and i recognize that there is but playing online versus playing in person doesn't only have these advantages it also has advantages because the new table the new virtual tabletops that are available to us at this moment are things that make the game a lot easier don't you think yeah uh, so there's there's also you, you lose there i believe but yeah I, I mean it's it's kind of harder also to to create because you, when you're filming in person it's almost as if you were filming a commercial or or a short film you know uh, there's a lot of things to be done first we have to carry the all the equipment that's all scattered among the different houses and uh, where other fellow mates store, I don't know, their cameras, their their speakers, their microphones. We have to get it all together in the same place, uh, either by truck or with our own cars or in a taxi, I don't know. And then we have to be sometimes eight hours with all the lights turned on here in the living room of my house. We, this, we try to set up a a small studio in a garage. It didn't work too well because of the acoustics. Uh, but yeah, I think it's worthy if my if my players have a better time playing in person. Your some of your players prefer in person, but you've kind of mentioned some the the convention that you run. But then also, are you doing any like other? Are you hosting other events? in uruguay where you are like game store events uh you know one shot events anything like that yeah i already told you about this this store that is three blocks from here and uh, it's inside of some sort of shopping mall so they have big spaces with with tables there available and once a month they do a, an rpg open day and they always ask us for help and we try to cover roughly half the tables that they have at at the people's disposal with our gms offering the games that we play on our on our channel so people can get familiar they also uh, sell these these games there so it's a win-win for for everyone and even thanks to doing that to getting involved with the game stores we could make contact with the publishers and distributors for some collaborations where they sent us free free material for us to raffle on our shows, for example, or give out as prizes during the events. And it has been a really, really good experience. And then when there's when there are conventions that are focused on on the geek audience, such as comic conventions or anime conventions and, and such. We try to get in touch with the people organizing them, offer them if they have the space, the room, we can bring our GMs and have some open tables at events like that. And that way we like 
put ourselves out there, you know, so people can know us and also learn a lot. The first one we, we did, we ended up having a better stream than the convention itself. They had a cosplay, it was a cosplay competition and the whole streaming went down and there was a lot of drama. And back there in one corner, we were with our, with our semi-professional cameras and our laptop streaming with OBS through Twitch and YouTube. And our stream ended up being better because nice. the learning that we were forced to, to do for the event. Okay. And they were seeing some of us have even worked as professional streamers for um, institutional things and such. You know that now that the, the streaming world has become like open to the world, everyone wants to to try it. Yeah, no, for sure. So, okay. So now what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the convention because I really don't get to talk to other people who hosts conventions, all right? So it's funny is that I think that you may be the first person that I've talked to that has hosted another convention. Because, I mean, our listeners know we host a big convention in Ohio every year, uh, a catacon. It's a lot of fun. We've been doing it now for... What's its name? A, a catacon. So it's kind of like academy but we went for a catacon. All right, I didn't come up with the name, but it's stuck and that's that's it. So, but I'm curious to see not just you as a somebody who's hosting a convention in Latin America, but just as another convention hoster. And what was tell us about your convention that you did? Okay, as I said, we had experience in in being in charge of small sectors in other people's conventions, and we are all convention goers, so we are familiar with the world, and we started doing our first steps in getting used to what organizing one was. And since we got a really good venue, and uh, later I will send you some pictures that you can oh yeah for sure put over here if you want. We got a, it's a, a castle by a lake. And oh, it's sick. kind of in the middle of the city. So you don't even have to drive away. It, it, it was the perfect venue for the event. And we started to think that we could do something bigger than we could even get a hold of. So we decided to join efforts with a network of um, reading clubs. How, how do you call them there in, in the states book people clubs? gather the the book clubs yeah, yeah they, they clubs. all read the same book and then they comment it mm -hmm. and it's there's a an instagram network of the different book clubs that are all over here in uruguay and they wanted to do an event themselves so we said okay let's sacrifice the fact of our event being like super focused on rpgs and let's make it more about narrative adventures which ended up being the name aventuras narrativas which is narrative adventures i first wanted it to be castle con oh, which was yeah. pretty awesome yep. but we ended up teaming with them and that brought together two big uh, communities that had some some members in common but didn't like 
touched too much. Uh, there was, uh, we had experiences of, of people meeting there. And I didn't know you played RPGs. I didn't know you were in a book club. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, uh, it all started like, like that, like getting a better venue than we expected and us suddenly deciding, no, we need to make this bigger and better. Okay, so then, all right, so that's actually, I mean, that's a really cool idea. I mean, doing a convention by yourself is hard, especially if you don't have a huge, it's like trying to get a venue is tough because it's, you you need to get a big enough venue, but you're not sure if you can fill that venue up. So being able to combine two different groups of people just kind of opens the doors for you then. Yeah, and, and also, I mean, <laughs> To put it to put you in in perspective, we had a budget of two hundred and fifty dollars to make okay. this convention. That was our budget, and this was the first venue that told us that we could get it for a whole day for free. So that was like an instant. How yes. does that? All right, tell me. So how does how does that work? How do you get it for free? A hundred years ago, when they did that park and that lake they built that castle and it became a public library okay what 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 it what it is uh, day to day so it's a public space if you have a good project that aims to to empower or or give um like yeah like empower cultural um endeavors let's say and if they decide that you're serious about it and you're organized and you're not just fooling around, they will give it to you. You just have to present a, a, a good project. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. I mean, it's completely different here. I mean, we don't have those kind of those kind of spaces. Uh, it's just, I mean, just to kind of put some things into perspective, our budget for our convention every year is typically, you know, I, I'm not the numbers guy, but I'm pretty sure it's like, 15 to 20,000 something like that. So, just because the space to actually get the space is so expensive. Like that's like a majority of our costs there. Yeah, I know. And the big conventions here have the same trouble because they have to hire uh, sorry, rent these uh, convention centers that are meant for for industry yeah. staff. Yeah, they they usually have to start selling the the tickets before they they get the venue confirmed because if not it's just too big of a gamble that's a, a really big problem but so so just so you uh, realize like the scope here in uruguay for the last 15 years uh, it's shifted now but for the last 15 years there was the sort of socialism that you would see in in the norway and sweden and all that you know like mm -hmm. it's not really socialism, but it puts uh, public policies uh, in place that make this kind of exchanges between the citizens possible. It's not all market, market, market driven, you know. Mm -hmm. So the, just so the people that are listening to us, no, we are not a communist country, but there's a strong uh, investment in social policies such as culture and making cultural events available for everyone our convention was free for example we didn't okay. charge any any ticket and that was one of the conditions that the venue put on us 
The other one was that if we were going to sell anything, it would have to be outdoors. And okay. that was actually where, where most of our budget went to rent tents for the different stores that would be lined in the, just in the walkway in the, yeah, on almost on the street next to the, next to the venue. So how many people do you have at your convention? Uh, we peaked at 500. That's pretty big. Like that's a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a pretty hot day. 31 degrees Celsius. I don't know how much that is in Fahrenheit to be honest. That's that's pretty warm. Yeah, it um, was, and a lot, of, a lot of sun. It was not too bearable. Most of the activities were outdoors also. We had, for example, soft combat. You know what that is? What's that? Soft combat. No. They will create these weapons and armor made of foam. Yeah, okay. You had, like, yeah, like LARPing. That's... Yeah, it's, it's like LARPing, but... It's all made of foam. Okay. Yeah, it's like, yeah, like the weapons that you would use for like doing a LARP. Yeah, you've got like foam swords and everything. Yeah, and they they make great, great battles. So we had that, that sort of activities outdoors while indoors. Uh, people were playing RPGs. So did you just do it, over, did you do it over one day or is it over multiple days then? It was a single day from noon to eight in the night, yeah. Okay, so what was that? What was that planning process like for you? How stressed were you? Uh, we were pretty stressed, but I would say that what was um, tested the most was the bonds we have among each other. Each of us has a different vision for for the channel. That's inevitable because we are all different persons. And every time someone picked up a responsibility, they would do it more or less with the vision they had in mind. And sometimes we didn't agree and that uh, provoked friction. Uh, but after after it finished, and luckily it didn't, I mean, it didn't get beyond having to have a talk about something. Yeah. But I only think we we came out stronger. Our bonds and our ways of working uh, came out stronger after that because we realized our weaknesses. Uh, everyone uh, came out and, and was honest about what they thought they had done wrong. And it was really enriching, to be honest. And now we know that we need to be much more organized for the next time. It's so ingrained in our culture to be when you're talking when you're doing a project per se, business, you, you want to be as inoffensive as possible. And it just the friction will then just build and build and build and then explode because nobody ever says anything to anybody. So I mean, you're gonna have I mean, that's what we do our convention. There's myself and Michael, we'll butt heads on stuff. We have very different design philosophies about different things and so but he i tell him and <laughs> he'll tell me and we work it out and away we go <laughs> so yeah yeah i totally get it for instance i'm i'm i really hate organizational porn you know yes using things like notion or trello 
to get organized. Uh, and I totally rejected getting in that wagon just for the event or the channeling. Uh, but at some point I realized that that layer needed to exist and the people that uh, enjoyed using such tools uh, should be allowed to, to use them if, I mean, if it meant that they were working on something in which you were not involved, you have to welcome those tools and those ways of working, even though you don't um, you don't agree with them or, or or you don't enjoy using them. I had the the luck to be involved more in the content part of the organization, so I spoke. I organized some of the the lectures and got in touch with the the, the speakers to be. So I kind of made a, a public relations um, job during the, the convention. Uh, but the whole organization, yeah, it can can be a nightmare and you yeah. need to be ready. And I think the key factor here is, is people getting paid? Are people getting paid or is this all voluntary? And in our case, it's all voluntary. And there's a limit to which, to how much you can ask from someone that's putting out their free time just uh, to help you or to get things done together. You know, if you're paying someone, say, well, I hired you to do this job. You're not doing it. What's happening? You, you can have that conversation. But yeah. it's more difficult when you know that people are juggling sometimes between two jobs or kids or, I don't know, personal things that are going on with their lives yeah we have it's i mean it's all about like conventions can be super stressful we have just a we've got a great community just we've got listeners who help us we've got other people who've been involved in the shows who are helping us we've got just other hosts Everybody just kind of, and I think because we all just kind of have the same idea, and it kind of goes back to like our motto at the RPG Academy is, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. So we're just, it, it kind of comes down to, yes, we all kind of have this pipe dream that, oh, maybe someday a catacon will be this huge business thing. But it's at the end of the day, we're just like, you know what? We all had a great time and we didn't lose money. We were like, this is a this was a great that that to us was like everybody just had fun playing games, and so that's what always makes us want to do it again. Is we hear all these people are like, oh, we had such a fun time, you know? Thanks for thanks for hosting that, and we're like, yes, we will take another four months of stress for you. Like it just it just it feels good. And even when you when you get to that point where you're not losing money. If you're honest with yourself, you would be losing money if that was a real business. Oh, a hundred percent. Perhaps Richard uh, lent you his card to bring some tables to the convention, and then uh, Lucy uh, helped with the decorations, and that was all voluntary. And sometimes they even brought the materials with them. And if you were actually going to pay for every single thing that everybody do did. And of for all of their of their manpower too, or people power, let's say, oh, yeah. uh, you you wouldn't be. And I think that's super cool that it's like it's a it becomes a catacon has become like this big community event for us. So it's just it's fun. It's different because it doesn't it doesn't feel 
like a business. And I, I, and it would just, it just, it feels like this, just this thing we do as a community. So I'm not sure if you kind of got those. How many, how many editions have you had? There, I think this was the, this was the tenth year. Oh, that's that's a lot. No, this yeah. was was only the, our first one. So, what's it like? So, when you guys were done with the convention, or did you all say what was the feeling when you were done? Was it like, oh, I'm glad that's done, or were you, were you like, I'm glad that's done, and I want to do this again? Like, what did you guys? What was the what was going? What was the emotions like? Luckily, the we were all really happy at the end, uh, even though it was a very stressful day. You don't get to enjoy it as much mm-hmm. as much as the convention goers uh, get to enjoy it because you're really stressed about everything being as perfect as it can be. But we were lucky that the people at the venue let us leave everything there until Monday. This was on a Saturday. So we didn't have to stress about bringing like tables, uh, uh, the canvas, the sorry, the tarps, uh, equipment all with us. We only brought some equipment home after. So everyone was able to just go to a bar in the neighborhood and have some pizza and beers and celebrate. I My own case was that a friend of mine was going to leave to Australia the next day and she was throwing her house out the window with a massive party. So as soon as I finished the convention, I had to travel like four kilometers to go to this uh, party, but every everyone everybody else went and had uh, some beers and some pizza to celebrate the successful convention, and they had a really good time. At least, according to the pictures that they sent me. So you so you all gonna do it again next year? Yes, we may change the venue because we aim to have more people and as love as as lovely as the castle by the lake is. Uh, it has a. Uh, it doesn't have much room. Uh, when when we peaked at five hundred, I, I think we it was getting starting to get crowded in there. So we go, we want to do it in a an even more open space. I mean, this was free and and people could come in and out freely. But we want to do it. I don't know in in a, in a park somewhere where we can uh, set up base in some building, but where we can deploy the whole convention in a in, in the open, you know? That's kind of cool. I mean, I think it's a it's a different way of looking at it. So I mean because the, int- the main thing that we hated was uh the the how loud it was where the RPGs were being played. People had to scream over uh, others just to make themselves heard by the GM on the other side of the table. That was terrible and we hated it and we had to ask all the GMs uh, that they forgive us because of that and yeah we want to fix that so imagine having it on a park where every RPG table is like 20 meters away from each other so you get to see that there's people playing everywhere but everyone has their own like space where they can be comfortable yeah, it's hard when it's outdoors because you have to take in factors like the sun and if the weather is right and all that. But we think we we will we will gamble on it. I mean, it's I've never it. heard of it. There, I I have never, and I'm pretty immersed in the convention scene here in the U.S. And I've never heard of anyone doing like an outside. 
I think everybody's terrified of trying to go up against the weather. Like that's like the one thing that Ohio is extremely unpredictable. We do ours in November, so in the winter, and it's like it's usually like I, if you're looking at Celsius, like negative ten. So it's which cold. day in November? It's like November, usually the first weekend. So I think it's like usually like the you know oh, okay. the fourth through the sixth or something like that. Because ours was on November the twentieth. So summer for you all. Yeah, it was. It's more. It's more like spring. But yeah, spring. it was really mm-hmm. hot that day in particular. So you all, what's the okay? So what's the weather predictability like? Is it? Do you all have like rainy? Is it rainy season? Is it like? Is it pretty dry during that period? Okay, there's no tornadoes or volcanoes or earthquakes here in Uruguay. That's good. That's good. But rain can be a problem, and sometimes we even get floods. Not in the capital, but at some places in the country. So yeah, it can when when it rains, it it pours. So it can be a problem this time. Even though seventy percent of the activities had a, a way to be moved indoors. Uh, we already knew that if it rained, we would have to suspend. Luckily, it was a sunny day. So we already had to take that into consideration for this one, even though we were lucky. So that kind of prepared us for the next one, I guess, uh, to always be able to tell the speakers and the people who will be attending that maybe we'll have to change the date. This is something that you all know from the beginning. So Okay. I don't think that would be a particular problem. And again, when there's not uh, hundreds or thousands of dollars uh, like in the middle, you don't have that problem. Like perhaps if you have rented a venue for $50,000 and you want to move it to two weeks in the in the future, they will charge you $25,000 just to move it. Or perhaps there's not even room because someone else rented it for that date already. Uh, when there's no money involved, it's really, well, okay, we'll just do it some other day. That's it, not really I mean, a problem. Wait, yeah, when there's, I mean, I wish there was no money involved in ours. It was this year. It's funny you say that. So the convention center that we have our convention at, it has a connected hotel. And that's where everybody stays at the hotel there. That's kind of the norm there in the US, right? Yeah, it is. So everybody can put his game like really late into the night and then just go to bed and then wake up early in the morning and then play some more. We usually do them over the weekends. All right. We found out, I'm not kidding, a week and a half before our convention, we have people flying in all over the U.S. that the hotel is closing. Like it's just closing. Somebody bought the hotel and was shutting it down. And they're like, you're going to have to tell all of your guests that they're going to have to find another hotel. How many we people were, are we talking about? I think it was like, I think we're like 400, 450, wow. somewhere, somewhere around there. I'm not 100% sure. But it was like, and not all those people were staying at the hotel because there was a lot of people who are local to the to the area who are coming in too. But there is still, you know, you know, over 100 people who are like counting on this hotel and then all of a sudden, they're just like, yeah, you're going to have to tell them. We're like, these people are flying in. Like, like what do you – but we had it. thankfully, you know, things – and that was one of the things. We always joke about a catacon. We just get lucky. And 
another hotel owner in the city was just like, hey, I heard you were having this problem. You guys can all come stay at my hotel. And so we're so it just it all worked out. But yeah, just those there's all you cannot predict. So I wanted to ask you then, do you was there any like crazy story? What's like the craziest story from Heroes Convention? I mean, if if we're talking about things that cannot be predicted, the day before I went to the venue to see where where the it was not like the stage. Well, yeah, the stage would be. And it was like two in the afternoon and I was melting down there. The sun okay. was really hitting hard and it was really hot. And I said, I, I cannot I cannot put people that I ask to come and give out a lecture for free to suffer this. We need to fix it, this now. And we started to move our contacts and we, a friend of ours who has a, a tarp store, they sell these tarps for, for camping and and such. He lent us some tarps and we made some sort of medieval tarp campament. It was really fitting in the end, but yeah, it was something that we had to, to fix 24 hours before the convention it was uh, and that again was because of a lack of communications between the different commissions that were working on the project i was in the content commission and i was told the stage was going to be in the main floor and the main floor was outdoors and the logistics commissions had not been told that we need we needed tarps for the sun so yeah uh, no one had taken care of that. And there I was realizing 24 hours before the, the convention that that needed to be fixed. And luckily we, we were able to find a solution. Nice. I mean, that's what happens. You get stuff happens. Somebody steps up your friend with the tarp store. Like, I, I mean, there's just, it's just cool, you know? Yeah. And people around you, your family, your friends, even people who are not in the hobby, I realized the work you're putting in and how passionate you are. And as soon as they see that something is putting all that effort in danger, uh, they will also try to try to help this friend of mine. I mean, he, he likes comics books and, and comic films, but he's not really into RPGs or just, I think, Magic, Magic the Gathering is the only thing he plays. But he was like, yeah, sure. What do you need? Uh, eight in the morning. I need to be there. I'll be there. Nice. Uh, awesome. Okay. I mean, there is. I I've got so many. Like, I feel like I I could talk to you for such a long time. Um, but we've been going now for like an hour. So I gotta ask you then, as we start to wrap, as we start to wrap up. So, you've got the you've got the YouTube channel. You're you're primarily uh you do it's primarily it's, it's Spanish speaking uh games and everything uh so but where can people find you if they even if they can't speak spanish they can obviously turn on closed captions but if they just wanted to see what you all were doing whether that's youtube instagram facebook where are you all at on social media well in instagram we are broadcastle tv in youtube we're just broadcastle and on twitch we're also broadcastle tv 
in Instagram, if uh, you'll um, see what we're planning to do. I mean, all the, the news and the, and the catching up. Um, but if you want to to get um, alerts, the better thing is to go to Twitch and, and follow us and get the, the alerts on for that. That's when you will get the freshest content. Now in January, since it's summer here and summer holidays, we're in a hiatus right now. But by the end of the month, we'll start uh, the engines again with with the weekly streams. Oh, okay. You guys stream weekly. Uh, we stream at our highest point. We had three shows every week. Okay. Uh, we stopped uh, on December with two shows every week. Okay. One you of did... Dungeons and Dragons and one of Warhammer. Okay. Any what's the plan then for 2023? You're gonna keep on doing D and D and Warhammer. Is there any new games you're gonna try? The people with D and D kind of got fed up. It was like the 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 drop that made the. How, there's a phrase for this in English that I know. The, yeah the 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 last the straw straw, straw yeah. that broke the camel's back. The straw that go. broke the camel back was all this drama that that research had these last weeks. Oh, they yeah. they were already thinking about switching uh, systems, and what they decided was to bring down the the D and D show and make it Discord only. So if you want to follow it, you need to be in our Discord, for which there's also links in all our social medias and channels. And um, and they're going to play an Avatar: The Last Airbender, and I think. You're getting the the scoop here because it hasn't been announced. Oh, okay. Yet. But there you yeah, go. they're they're playing the the Avatar Last Bender role playing game. Yeah, it's something that is not too old. It's kind of new. I'm not really no, familiar I mean, with it. Yeah, mag. It's a magpie game. It it's literally is a Kickstarter, and people are like just now getting their books. So if you guys are going to be doing a stream, this is a good time to do it because it's just people are just now getting it. So. Yeah, I know. I know uh, my my mate there, who's gonna be the GM, Giovanni, uh, probably considered that because he's pretty clever about all that, he's yeah. in the moment and, and such. But yeah, they're they're really they're really hooked on that, and and, and they're really happy. Uh, it's sad to be to see a, one of our oldest shows uh, go, but I'm happy to see new content too, and and I'm also glad to give room to some not too known games because D&D kind of uh, makes it crowded at points, right? Yeah. And I'll say this too. It's good for, it's good to kind of take a break. You kind of feel refreshed playing something new. You kind of get excited about it. And so that's that's good for a GM to to get that feeling again. So Yeah, of course, by all means. I mean, I, I have my own thing going with Warhammer which is a living campaign with three different parties and we enjoy it a lot, but I'm really curious about other stuff. I already told you about Warlock Traitor's Editions. I I kind of uh, abandoned Vampire the Masquerade because it 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 kind of gathered the wrong crowds in my yeah, experience. I'm, I'm aware of the crowd that's around Vampire the Masquerade. Okay, so I, I've been away from that, but I love that setting. I think it's really good. Yeah. And I'm thinking about uh, doing something with Hunter, Hunter the Reckoning, somewhere, okay. something where you don't have to play the monster. Okay. 
uh, Horacio, I mean, this has been awesome talking with you. If you know anyone else, you know, Latin American community who would want to come on and chat, game designer, other streamers, you let them know because I, I, I mean, learning all about how you all have places where you can host free conventions and in Uruguay, I guess you do conventions outside. So, <laughs> so no, super cool stuff. So thanks for joining me tonight. You know, I'm very pleased to to be here, and I'll be looking forward to our second chat. I'm sure there's been there's plenty of stuff we didn't get to to talk about. Absolutely, we're gonna bring you back. All right, folks. Uh, as always, this has been Tom, and you've been listening to Show and Tell. Uh, definitely go check out everything that they're doing over on the broadcastle. We will include all those links in our show notes, and don't forget if you're having fun. You're doing it right. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize. But there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy, or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook, or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can, and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time. The music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.